Last week, we began a conversation about the, uh, a vision of ourselves, the nature of our identity, and we said three big ideas. We talked about some components of biblical identity that we have largely lost both in and out of the church uh, in modern times. We talked about the idea that Christ is foundational to our identity, and we talked about the idea that, that who we are can change, right? We can become more like Jesus. Uh, so, uh, we, we are going to think today about one of those biblical components of our identity, and just as a reminder, would you put that graphic up for me? Just as a reminder, um, Dallas Willard uh, has a fantastic book called The Renovation of the Heart, and um, in it, he has this image of these components of our identity. So you can see in the middle, the most small circle, the center circle, says spirit or heart or will. And then there's mind, then there's body, then there's social or community, and then there's soul. We're going to talk about every one of those components, but today we're going to focus on, on that center part of ourselves um, that we call the heart, or he sometimes calls spirit or will. And, and before we get into understanding what the biblical authors think about what the heart is, I think it's helpful for us to unpack a little bit that we have some assumptions about that concept that are not um, that are more true to our context than to theirs. So obviously, first of all, we know the heart is like an organ in your chest, right, that pumps blood. So we're talking about a metaphorical heart here. Uh, and second of all, when we talk about the, the heart, we usually mean it in terms of a center of emotion or particularly a center of love, right? Uh, and so I thought it'd be interesting to briefly discuss how we got to that idea, how we came to believe that the heart is the center of emotion or love. Uh, and so I've got a little video from a group called Mental Floss uh, that's going to explain this topic in about 90 seconds. Will you show that clip? Today I'm going to answer Anish Sharma's big question, why is the heart associated with love? Well, Anish, I'm not sure if you mean the human heart or the heart symbol, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about why both are associated with love. Let's get started. I love you. The shape has been uncovered in pictograms drawn by early humans living in modern-day Europe, but we don't know what it meant to the people back then. Moving later in time, many different cultures started to view the human heart as the center of emotion and the soul. The ancient Egyptians associated the heart with your moral compass. The ancient Greeks thought it contained the human soul in addition to emitting actual body heat. The Teotihuacans from ancient Mexico believed the body contained various spiritual forces and the one in the heart was the key to being alive. Throughout all this, what we now know as the heart shape persists. It can be found in ancient artwork, but mostly used to represent things like fig leaves or ivy. Then people started to draw connections between the human heart and love. One of the earliest examples of it clearly representing love and art can be found in the 13th century French romance manuscript known as Roman de la Poire. In the manuscript, there's a picture of a man holding what looks like a human heart and offering it to a woman. Romantic. The heart is definitely acting as a symbol of love here, but its shape is more realistic than the modern heart symbol. It evolved in art, becoming less and less realistic throughout the next few centuries, and less icky. By 1400, the modern heart shape had become a big part of Christian art. In 1530, the Luther seal, a symbol for Lutheranism, was developed with a heart shape in the center. The symbol wasn't just associated with religion and love, though. During the medieval times, the heart shape started popping up on things like playing cards and tapestries. Then, in 17th century England, Valentine's Day started to become a thing. People started just by sending notes, but eventually the heart symbol became associated with Valentine's Day, and it was definitely here to stay. Okay, that guy is the only person on earth who talks faster than me. Uh, so, kind of interesting, right, to hear the sense of where we got the weird heart symbol, which doesn't look like a heart at all, and, and how we got the idea that heart is related to emotion or love. Um, I, I hope you heard that it's around the, the 1300s 
where we start associating the heart with love. So the question is, what did people think before that? We got a little bit of what the Egyptians thought and what the Greeks thought, um, but the Jewish people thought something different. So the Jewish people, when they talked about heart, thought of it as the center of our choices, right? The heart is, is that, that core of who you are from which all your decisions emanate. Uh, it is will, right? It's, it's the ability to say, hey, I want to do this and do that. It's, it's your choice-making part. Uh, that's what Jesus said, right? In our passage today, when He talks about um, the heart, He says, out of the heart comes evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander, right? The decisions that we make that come out are, are coming out of our heart, right? And, and in that sense, the heart is um, kind of the, the center of who we are because we are who we choose to be. And, and um, heart relates to character, right? Because character is just the sum of the choices we make and our response to them. Uh, and, and so the heart becomes the, the idea of will or choice or decision um, that, that matures into my character, right? That's that center of me that drives everything else. It, it's going to be affected by the mind and affected by the body and affected by my soul and affected by my social context. But at my core is this ability to make choices. By the way, I don't know if you noticed this, but the Bible says that God has a heart, right? That's interesting because obviously God doesn't have an organ that pumps blood through His veins. Um, God has a heart. God has the capacity to make choices, right? The capacity to make those decisions um, that ultimately build character. And, and God is a little different from us in that because He's able to make all His choices in this sort of perfect agreement. When, when God makes a choice, he, he always picks the same sort of thing every time. God's never going to pick to be dishonest. God's never going to pick to be um, unfaithful. God's never going to pick to be uh, uh, selfish, right? Because He's totally consistent in all those decisions, which means we can trust God's character. It means we can trust who God is. Um, but while God is sort of perfect uh, Willard says he's unbodily personal power, perfect choice, right? Whatever God chooses happens. When God says, I think light would be a good idea, then light happens. We are like a small part of that. If God is all spirit, then God breathes a little bit of his spirit in us, and we get the capacity to make some of those choices. And, and so this idea of, of good and evil throughout the Bible really comes back to our choices, right? Our decisions, our intentions, our motivations are what make us good or evil or make um, uh, our character develop into something that, that looks like God or looks very different from God, um, that we are who we decide to be. The problem is, um, and I think Jesus suggests it pretty clear in our passage today, we get it throughout Scripture, um, that most of us don't have hearts like God's. Most of us don't have that, that perfectly unified um, love that uh, comes from a decision and a character that's consistent. So, um, here's my heart, right? Uh, if my, my family is on vacation or my daughter would have made these and they would look cooler. Um, so, here's, here's my thinking. I think God designs us with a heart, right, with this capacity for choosing and shaping character in a uniform way, sort of the way God is. Uh, and then God gives us these places in our lives where we have to make choices, we have to make decisions. 
Uh, and so um, one of those is family, right? And we say, all right, I, I have to choose who I want to be with my family. This is where most of us begin to shape our character, right? We say, all right, well, um, uh, most of the time as a kid, I'm with my family and I, I get to choose who I want to be there. And yeah, maybe I can be pretty consistent in that. But then as we grow, we have other places where we have to choose who we are, right? So I think for many of us, the next one is, is work or school, right? And we say, oh, okay, I have to choose who I'm going to be there. And, and the problem is I can't seem to get all of me in both places. I, I can't seem to find a way to, to be consistent about who I am at work and at school and at, and at home. Boy, maybe you've experienced this yourself or as a parent. Maybe you've seen this with your kids. Sometimes we would get notes back from the teachers and they would say, your son, your daughter is just so unbelievably patient and kind with other kids. And we're like, did you send this to the wrong house? Because that's not how they act at home, right? Um, but, but they're making one set of choices about who they want to be and, and how they want to relate to others at school and another set at, at, at home, right? And because it's hard to get the consistency, what we end up doing is we end up just putting a piece of ourselves in each spot, right? All right, well, when I make these choices, I'm going um, to be over here, and when I make these choices, I'll be over here, and that's how I'm going to work. Right? And then as we get older, um, we get more opportunities to make choices about who we want to be. And so we get involved in some causes, or we get involved in... Um, some sports, and we say, oh, you know what? Ah, I, I really love my, my sport friends, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some choices about who I am with them, and I'm going to behave in certain ways with them that might be different than my school friends, right? And, and I, I get a little more fragmented. And boy, I, I love um, caring about the environment. I love caring about the poor. I love caring about people in need. And so I'm going to make another set of choices. This is what I'm like um, when I'm really passionate about something that's important to me. And then we get some hobbies, right? Ah, oh, gee, I, I really love my video games, and I really love um, riding my bike and skiing, and um, when I'm doing those things, I make a different set of choices about who I am and how I want to interact with the world. And um, I've got some other friends that maybe aren't, aren't from sports or aren't from school, and so I have a different sort of way of engaging with with those friends, and um, boy, maybe I meet somebody, right? I, I meet a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe I get married, and I have a significant other, and, and I, I engage with them a little differently as well than I do with everybody else in my life. And if you're like me, maybe you've got some secret sins, some things that you do that you don't want other people to know that you do, and you behave a little different when you're at home by yourself and no one's around. Um, and then, well, God's supposed to fit in our life somewhere. And so I got a little bit of my heart left over, a little bit of my choices about my identity and my character. And when I go to church and, and when I read my Bible, and uh, in certain moments I'm going to behave and make a, a different set of choices. But the, the problem is I don't, I don't have that much left over, right? I don't have that much left over to give God about my character and my identity, so I'll just give Him what's left. And when I'm at church, or when I'm at school, or when I'm with my boyfriend or my girlfriend, or when I'm um, engaged in something wonderful, or when I'm engaged in something sinful, 
I'm just a little bit of a different person in every one of those spaces because I keep making different choices about who I want to be. Maybe you've had this experience in your own life. Scripture talks about it a lot. In the book of Proverbs, the author says, like a city with its walls torn down and a city broken into is a man who has no control over his spirit, over his heart. Jesus says, a house divided cannot stand. Neither can a heart. That when I am broken into this many different pieces, I can't have the character and the identity and the person that Christ wants me to be. Uh, And this happens almost instinctively, doesn't it? Again, Scripture says, the heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? We just sort of naturally become this chameleon of different people at different times making different choices. But then we get a story of a few people that are different. And and, and I hope you noticed this story um, about David this morning. We we got two Scriptures about David that are really important for us. Uh, First, we're told that David is a man after God's own heart. And then we're told later um, that when all of his brothers appear before God, they're not who he's looking for because the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Something about David's heart reminded God of his own, right? Something about David's heart reminded him of God's heart. See, what makes God's heart unique, um, well, it's, it's orange for one thing, but what makes God's heart unique is that it's whole, right? We, we said this already, God is completely consistent in who He chooses to be, completely consistent in every choice God makes. We believe in a trinity, right? A Father, Son, and Spirit, three different persons, but, but every time any choice comes up, and there's a lot of choices when you're running the universe, every choice comes up, they are completely in agreement every time, right? Theologians call this unity of operation. It just means they've got a whole heart, right? They've got a whole character. They've got a whole will. And, and something about David's heart looks like this. Now, let's be clear for a minute. If you know the story of David, David's not a perfect guy. Right? David makes some big mistakes. Raise your hand if you ever murdered anyone. Don't, actually, never mind. I changed my mind. Don't, not right now. Let's talk later. Talk later, okay? Um, but, but David did. Right? David murdered somebody. David committed adultery, then he murdered to cover it up. It's about as bad as it gets. But remember, character is not just what we choose to do, but how we respond to those choices. And even in the absolute worst decisions of David's life, he finds the ability to respond and say, ah, that's not who I want to be. That's not the, the person I desire to be. God, I, I want to have a heart like yours. I want to be whole. So Jesus comes and Jesus says, hey, let me show you what a whole heart looks like. Jesus says, a whole heart is very simple. It's just all in one bucket. Just all in one bucket. That's, it's not a complicated thing. Jesus says, everything is supposed to be about this one bucket. It's supposed to be about your relationship with God. And then Jesus calls the world to say, hey, I want you to give up on all of this mess and just focus on one thing. In fact, um, we, we get some other examples in Scripture of women and men who choose, like David, to try to be focused on just one thing. 
Um, we get in Galatians, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me, right? He says, I died, and all of these aspects of my life are dead, and then I came back to life in Jesus, and now I'm just in one bucket again. I got a whole heart. I'm consistent about who I want to be. There's a great moment when Jesus is teaching Martha and Mary, and remember the story, Martha's in the kitchen, and she's preparing for this big meal that they're going to have, and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet like a disciple, and Martha comes to Jesus, and she's frustrated, and she says, Jesus, why aren't you making Mary help? Like, I'm doing all the work. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're concerned about many things. Mary has chosen the one thing that matters. It will not be taken away from her. So when Kierkegaard says, purity of heart is simply this, choosing one thing, choosing one thing. And the invitation of Scripture is to be like Jesus, to be a people who have hearts like God's heart, like Martha and like Paul and like David, not perfect, but with our character and our will all wrapped up in one central decision about who we want to be and whose we want to be. Now, the good news is hearts can change. It's not just that David and Paul and Martha were great and the rest of us are terrible. Jesus is in the business of changing hearts. That was exactly what we read this morning in Ezekiel where He says, I will give you, I will take away your heart of stone, I'll take away your brokenness, and I'll give you a heart of flesh, I'll make you whole again. And the way we do this is really quite simple. We have to focus on one thing. There's a great song by Rich Mullins um, that I've probably quoted to you a million times, and it's called My One Thing. And he says, um, everybody says they need just one thing. What they really mean is they need just one thing more. Everybody seems to think they've got it coming. Uh, Lord, I know I don't deserve it, but I want to love and serve you more and more. You're my one thing. And, and I think part of the way that we partner with God in the work of sanctification, of becoming like Jesus, of changing who we are so we look more like Him, is we have to start with just one thing. But instead of saying, I need one thing more, we say, God, I need one thing less. Doesn't matter where you start. God, I need, I need one thing less in my life. And so you pick a bucket. And you say, hey, it's not that sports is bad. Sports is great. I wouldn't even be able to do children's sermons if it wasn't for sports. Um, but I don't want sports to be a different part of who I am anymore. Uh, I, I, want, I want my identity when I'm on the pitch or the field or the court to be exactly the same as it is as my identity when I'm in church. I want to make the same kind of decisions and the same kind of choices. And so, um, God, I'm just going to bring the, my one thing to you, and, and I want to dump it in the, in the one bucket that it really matters to me. And then you pick another one, right? God, I, I love my friends and they're awesome, um, but I, I know there's some stuff that I do with my friends that doesn't really fit in this bucket, um, and, and I'm going to get rid of that, and I hope I keep them. Um, but God, I want to be the same person that loves you and is faithful to you um, when I'm with my friends as I am when I'm at church. And so I just dump it in the bucket. Right? And, and let's not kid ourselves, this is going to be really hard. This is going to be really hard. Because as you go about the process of, of taking every component of your life and, and trying to find its place in your relationship with God, there's going to be some things you lose. 
There's going to be some things where you say, I don't think that fits anymore. And all that time and energy and effort I invested in some of those things, they just, they don't fit in this bucket. And so part of my choice might be to let some of those things die in my life. And it might be a hobby, and it might be a friendship, and it might be an activity, but I I take whatever energy and thought and identity I had, and I'm just going to dump it in one bucket, right? Uh, And then I I take those relationships that are most important to me, and I say, yeah, you know what? I I, I love this woman or this man that God's put in my life, um, but my relationship with them has to fit within my relationship with Him. And if it can't, then I want to find a different relationship, right? Because essential to me is I just want to have this whole heart. And we take those things that are most important to us and we say, God, um, my job's going to be about you now and, and not just about making money and paying the bills. And my family's going to be about you, Lord. And I know uh, that this is going to be hard. And I know uh, that I like being the daddy entertainment system. But some of my time with my kids can't just be playing and hanging out. It's going to be talking about Jesus. They're the most important disciples I'll ever make. And, and it can't just be, I love my wife and we enjoy being together. It needs to be, I support her and her relationship with Christ and she supports me because I just want to have this one consistent heart. And the best parts of me and the worst parts of me all have to find their way back into this one bucket. Right? And some things will grow and some things will die. And I do it one thing at a time, just one bucket. What's the bucket uh, for you that right now God's calling you to work on? Where's the bucket that you need to be dumping into the one bucket of God, recognizing it's not going to be easy or always even fun. It's going to be painful. There's going to be loss. There's going to be change. But, but something incredible can happen if you're willing to start with just one thing and say, I need one thing less. I need one less place where I am broken up. Um, one more place where I can be um, who God wants me to be. Uh, you don't do this by yourself. You do this with the Holy Spirit, right? Which is, I think, appropriately illustrated as duct tape, right? Because um, it's, it's not our job um, to do this on our own, and it's not God's job to do it on His own. We do it together. We cooperate with God in trying to, to put our hearts back together, trying to become a consistent person, to have the same character in every situation in our lives. And so we say, God, I I know I can't do it. Um, You won't do it without me, but together we can do incredible things. Um, So the Holy Spirit is required in our bucket. Um, Now, I got to say, I recognize there's a fear in this. The fear is that I'm going to begin to change who I am. Well, but Jim, uh, sports is such a huge part of who I am, and what if that begins to change? What if I go and, and, and I start um, praying before games, and they don't want me to pray before games, and they don't want to be my friends anymore? Well, I like going to school, and uh, I had a conversation about a student this week who is trying to do the Old Testament read through the Bible thing with us, and so she was reading her Bible in class and started getting all this grief from people about why are you wasting your time reading that book? And she said, well, I'm just trying to be the same person here that I am here, Right? Uh, it's going to be hard. There may be points where it feels like you're losing who you are as you take one thing out and bring it back to God. But like an addict who loses their addiction, like a person in an abusive relationship who loses their abuser, like a person who is in a dead-end job who, who won't take the step to get out, like a person who's been sitting on the sidelines for their whole life, sometimes there's a part of us we need to lose so we can be whole again. Uh, and, 
And the beauty and the story and the promise of Scripture is that between you and the Holy Spirit um, and the heart of God, um, with a lot of love and a lot of work uh, and a lot of effort, um, eventually God can put your heart back together, right? Um, God can put your heart back together, and you can be that one person that Christ called you to be. Um, You can be like David, um, a woman or a man after God's own heart, right? And so... um, as we begin our conversation about identity, I want to ask you just one simple question. What's your one less thing today? What's the one less thing that you can dump into the bucket of your relationship with God and say, God, can you just stitch this back together? Because that's how this process starts. And He works, and He works, and He works. And one day we wake up and we realize um, that we're whole again, and we look like Him. Let's be committed to one less thing this week. Let's be committed to be a, being a people who have a heart like God's. Thanks be to Him. Amen.